0: So I'm not sure if you've ever bought something online. I'm sure you have, like most of us these days, have purchased something online. And I, I recently made a, a purchase on Amazon. And I don't know if you go through this process, but I immediately tend to check on the status. Like, what's happened with it? So I pressed send, I pressed purchase, where's it going? And the next day, I also checked, did it process? And then you get that, that notification that it's shipped And then I become very curious. And in fact, sometimes I even become anxious. I kind of look like, well, where is it? Is it, you know, when I press track the package, can I find out? And then you get excited, like it's left California or some state, and then you find out it's made it to BC in Canada. And then it's like, wow, it's in Cornwall, Ontario. And you get really, really excited when it hits Lachine. And then there's an amazing kind of euphoria when it's like, oh my gosh, it's just been stamped in Point Claire. It's on its way. Possibly you're going to get it by 7 p.m. tonight, and that's kind of what I was thinking. Now, this was an urgent purchase. I have to tell you, it was actually compostable poop bags for my dog, so you can imagine how urgent they were. (laughs) What I'm trying to get at is this: we worry about way too much. We think about way too much. Now, maybe it's just me, but I think all of us do that in some way, shape, or form. We don't just worry about bad things. We actually worry about things that we want more control over or to know exactly what's going on. Now, here's what I wanna say from the beginning here. What if we could change that script? What if we could change that posture? I don't mean ignore important information or ignore reality or become uninformed people, but I mean this, discovering a peace and a freedom in a world that's often categorized by worry and anxiety. Well, there's this ancient piece of literature I want to talk about today. Now, if you're a teenager uh, tuning in today or someone that's into TikTok or or, uh, Instagram, see if you can find this piece of literature on there. If you do, please send me the link. I'd love to see a dance or a routine with it. But... This ancient piece of of literature is is a contrast to the worry and fear that's often involved in the cycles that we feed on in our everyday lives. Now consider this, 20, 30 years ago, nobody had access to 24-hour news. Nobody went to bed knowing exactly what happened in Atlanta or Toronto two minutes ago. And when you ordered something, possibly back then from a catalog, you had no idea where it was en route and when it was going to arrive to your house. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to jump into a psalm. It's the 23rd psalm. And we're going to jump into a new series today based on this psalm that I believe is going to help us be formed in the way of the Lord in such a way that contrasts the constant worry and fear cycles of our world. Now, many of you might be familiar with this song. Probably probably you are. Now, even if you haven't read the Bible much or you haven't been associated with church, maybe you're just tuning in with us today for the first time because someone invited you. Welcome, by the way. But Maybe you've heard this psalm, you know, at a funeral. Maybe you've read it off a greeting card. The Lord is my shepherd. Or one of the famous lines that often is on a greeting card. He uh, leads me beside still Waters or quiet waters and perfect words for bedside comfort. But for some of us, they might sound trite. They might sound overly sentimental, maybe overly familiar, overly used. I love what Dallas Willard said about this psalm. He actually grieves and mourns the fact that this psalm has been written on many, many tom- tombstones, but unfortunately, not so many lives. Now, I want to do this just right at the start. We're going to read this psalm together. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it or you can um, follow with us on the screen as we read this together. Psalm 23. Let's do that. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me to lie down or he makes me lie down in green pastures. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, as we begin just immersing ourselves in this psalm today, as we begin opening our hearts and our lives up to the truth in your word through this psalm, God, we pray that you would uh, captivate our hearts, draw us in. And help us to pay attention um, to exactly what you want to be doing in and through us in this moment and through this piece of scripture, God. In your name we pray. Amen. So this song, song, I say song or psalm, similar thing, is written by one of Israel's most famous kings, King David. Now he wrote a lot of the psalms, the majority of them. This one is by far the most popular. It's by far been the one that has struck a chord with so many, so many people, generation after generation, over centuries. Now, when he wrote this psalm, and like many of the psalms, but this one has a particular template, and he was very intentional in his poetry. In fact, if you would parse it out, there's, there's six sections or six lines, but, but then kind of major sections as well. And there's three moments where he's speaking in the first person. He's referring to himself. And there's a section where he's referring to God in the second person, a section where he's referring to God in the third person. So David intentionally writes this psalm intertwining himself and the Lord. Because at the outset, I want us to understand, this is David's personal experience and personal response to a personal God. He says, I lack nothing. I will fear nothing or will not fear I will dwell in your house forever. Why can he say I, I, I so many times? And it's this, because he says, he, referring to God, will lead me. He will set me near quiet waters. He will restore me. He will guide me. And he can also say I, because then he refers to God in the third person. You, you, or your staff and rod, they comfort me, and you prepare a meal before me. In other words, this isn't some abstract psalm. This, is, this isn't some just kind of distant word. It's not just referring merely to the strong and powerful aspects of who God is. This is a deeply personal and experiential psalm or poem that David's writing. Now let me ask you, because this is important. What is your favorite image of God? Or maybe I might ask it this way. This is another question. How do you perceive God? How do you perceive God? If we take some of the major themes or metaphors in the Old Testament and and likely in the Psalms, we find some really strong ones, like the Lord is like a rock, or the Lord is like a fortress, or like a tower, or a shield, or a stronghold. Really powerful words. But then some of the less common ones is found in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, Or found in Psalm 131, where the psalm writer refers to God as a mother who nurtures him. Or Psalm 103, that refers to God as a father who has compassion on him. This makes me think, because so many people often will look at the Old Testament and look at the New Testament, look at the Old Testament and look at Jesus, and often ask this question, is Jesus pointing to a different God in the New Testament than in the Old Testament? Do we see something different? My short answer to that is no. But to understand this a little bit, it seems as though Jesus highlighted what he knew most about God. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't know the strength and power of God, the omnipotent and omniscience of God, the sovereignty of God. But he seems to highlight what he knew most true and the core of who God is. I think Luke 15 helps us see this, and Kenneth Bailey, who's an amazing scholar in Middle Eastern times and and Arabic and Hebrew culture, he kind of highlighted this. Think about Luke 15. Luke 15, here's Jesus telling a story, trying to help his disciples and his listeners, and even us as we read the Gospels, uh, the value of someone who is lost— Now, for Jesus or the New Testament, the word lost often refers to someone who's missing out on knowing the love and relationship with God. So someone who's lost is someone who's missing that, who's separate from that, who hasn't found that yet. And Jesus paints a picture of how much God values people who are lost without God, without a relationship with him, without knowing his purpose in his kingdom. And he tells three stories, three stories, one of a sheep, one of a coin, And one of a son. Interestingly enough, it's a shepherd who searches desperately for the lost sheep. It's a woman, maybe a mother, who searches desperately for the lost coin. And it's a father who deeply grieves his lost son and longs to see him back home. Did you catch those three images? It's like Jesus is fully aware of the more common images of God in the Old Testament. And he's not ignoring them, but he's choosing to highlight these less common ones. It's like Jesus takes what is more subtle and shines this bright light on it. That he wants us to see the heart and purpose and character of God. In John 10, Jesus actually says, I am Referring to this incredible image from God revealing himself to Moses. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. It's though as Jesus wants us to see God as shepherd, and he wants that view of God to shape us. That's one of the reasons I'm so excited about getting into this psalm and letting it seep through our minds and our hearts over the summer. And and here's partly what I think Jesus would be doing with this, but also what this psalm can do for us. It's a contrast to the idea systems of our world. See, if you just think for a second, our world doesn't function with shepherd-like qualities, with shepherd-like leadership or character or posture or patience. Instead, it seems like our world tends to dismiss the value of things, struggles with anything related to patience, often neglect the focus or concern of people. And if you're like me, I think our culture disciples us to actually think of ourselves more than to think of others. This psalm and the teachings of Jesus would push us in a different direction. Dallas Willard, when he thinks about the focus of the 23rd Psalm and the teachings of Christ, he says this, that that it's this kind of truth is recognizing the idea systems that govern the present age and its culture, which happen to constitute a life away from God, and replacing them with the idea systems embodied and taught by Jesus Christ. So recognizing the idea systems that govern the present age and culture, replacing them, replacing them with the idea systems embodied and taught by Jesus Christ. When we think of idea systems, the Apostle Paul gives us a little bit of a clue of this in Ephesians 6.12, when Paul says, our struggle, he says, is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, and this line is important, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a lot in that verse, but embedded in that, we must realize that when, we, when the Scriptures speak about Satan or the devil or the deceiver, he doesn't just come in the most obvious ways, and we're not just deceived in what we call the supernatural, which is obviously a way, but the dark powers of the world or the idea systems of the world. Now, here's what I would love To grow in myself and what I hope and pray for each and every one of us as we embark on this journey this summer. What if we can live a life not shaped by the rulers and authorities or the principalities or the idea systems of consumerism, individualism and materialism not by idolatry and quick fixes and greed and shame culture and political division and the worry and fear of constant news cycles or the feed of information, but instead replacing them, replacing them with what seems to be themes from a psalm that Jesus would later highlight and lift up as the value of the Lord being our shepherd and the kind of life that comes with that. What if... We live a life not shaped by those things but replaced in them with the life that Jesus wants to offer us that we find clues of in this psalm. Let me ask you a question. What stories are you immersed in? What stories are on your mind? I'm starting to laugh because I'm thinking about it. Uh, Just a couple of days ago, my wife, um, let me kind of preface this. She likes to go to bed listening to the radio and meaning like put the news on. And so I personally don't like to listen to the news when I'm in bed, but she does. And I have no choice because the radio's on her side of the bed. And so the radio's on. Now last week, my eyes are just like about to close, just about to fall asleep. You know that moment where you're just like, oh, I feel like I'm just letting everything go, the cares of the day, boom, I'm going to fall asleep. You're just kind of waiting for that, right? And so here's this, just this kind of transitionary moment between awake and being asleep, and then boom. Hey, next on the news, these three top stories. The virus surges in five states. There's locusts um, destroying a city in India, and there's hornets in B.C., and on and on, and I'm like... Oh my gosh, imagine the dreams I'm gonna to have tonight. Like this is what I'm gonna fall asleep with. And so my eyes are wide open. I my heart's pumping. I'm not sleeping. And I tell Franca, Franca, please, could you just turn off the news? I don't feel like going to bed. Like I already know these stories and I don't want them to just like I don't I don't want to hear them right now. And it's not that I didn't want to be informed or understanding, but in that moment it not was not what I needed. Let me contrast that with a couple of years ago. Our church was walking through a season where we were preparing ourselves and to engage a vision to lease a new space and renovate a space and raise funds. We were really engaging into this new vision of of, of creating a new future together. And it was exciting, but it was also a lot to handle. And I remember significant moments of feeling anxious or getting distracted or feeling overly busy or overwhelmed. And I remember it affected my breathing and my sleeping. And I can't remember exactly what led me to this, but something led me to make a decision to rememorize memorize Psalm 23 in all of its fullness and to recite that psalm when my head hit the pillow at night. So like regardless of if, what conversations I've had, what I happened to maybe be reading before bed, what, if I had a meeting that night or if I was, I was home with family, whatever it was, I, my head at the pillow I, pillow, I started to recite Psalm 23. And here's what I decided in that moment that was so essential for me. I decided that I was going to rest in someone with much greater control than me. By, by reciting this Psalm, by, by immersing myself into it, by By choosing to immerse myself in a different story, I was choosing to rest in someone with much greater control than me. And that's the heartbeat of this psalm as we start to jump into it in the next several weeks. This is David's relationship with God, his shepherd. And it's some of the deepest descriptions of how he understood and experienced God. Now you might ask, well, how did he know about God like this? How can he describe this? And it was simple. He knew God. He had a relationship with him and experienced him. In other words, he doesn't just tell us something about God, but he tells us how he knows God. How he knows God. It's not some false promise of an unbroken life where everything's going to be perfect, but a promise of unbroken care throughout life. It's a big difference, which we'll look at in the next few weeks. So here's the summer as we we launch. It's the first Sunday of July. We look forward towards the next two months. We're going to take a deep dive in this psalm. And I'm hoping that right at the outset, as we start to get into it, you ask yourself some questions. Questions like, who is God? Questions like, have I come to know God in this deep way? Questions of, am I living in response to this God that I'm discovering in this psalm? And maybe some other questions. Now, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, you're going to be tempted to see this psalm as too good to be true. There's going to be lines in this psalm, phrases in this psalm, principles in this psalm that you're going to look at and say, this is too good to be true. Maybe it's, maybe it's great on a, on a greeting card. Maybe it's nice to encourage someone when they're going through a hard time. Maybe it's nice to put on a, on a tombstone with no life experience just to make us feel good. But honestly, honestly, it's too good to be true. And you, you're going to be tempted maybe to see that. You're also going to be tempted to interpret Psalm 23 disconnected from your everyday life. You want to maybe look at it overly spiritual or overly emotional or just feelings and disconnected from your everyday life. But here is the beauty as we start engaging this psalm this summer. It's meant to lead you and me to life to the fullest. And if you're watching for the first time or you've been invited to join us or you've just stumbled upon this, please... I want you to know this kind of life is possible. Jesus actually points to it, and we see roots of it in this psalm. What we're gonna be walking through is meant to lead us to life to the fullest. So, we're gonna take a deep dive in this psalm over the next six to eight weeks to form the life of Psalm 23 in us. What's that life? It's the God life, it's a life only available in God. And here's the invitation as we immerse ourselves in it for the summer. Two really simple things I'm going to invite you to do practically. One is, it's individual, first of all. Internalize this psalm. Just like I did a couple of years ago, I was reminded, prompted to re-memorize this psalm. I'm going to invite you, memorize Psalm 23. And if you already have it memorized or it's overly familiar with you, choose another version of the Bible that you're not familiar with, with different words and phrases And then begin to memorize that. And then begin to recite this, to think about it, day and night, evening and morning. Here's what I would love. And I think you might want this too, that by the end of the summer, by the end of August, just the the words of Psalm 23, phrases, words, will, will simply be whispers out of your mouth, like thoughts that come to you at an opportune time where you can grab a phrase here, grab a phrase there, say it in its entirety, think about it, live it, because it's a summary of God's kingdom displayed in your mind and in your heart. That'd be so amazing. And then communally, I'm going to ask you, join us for the next eight weeks. Stay tuned, follow through as we gather together on this live stream. But even more than that, we have these discussion groups set up, and there's going to be questions every week to help people gather together around this material, talk about it, engage it, dig deep into it, and apply it. So I'm going to invite you today, sign up online, go to our website, click the link for this, and find out how you can join either the Zoom group that's going to happen immediately after next Sunday's gathering for the next six weeks after that, or maybe be other groups that are meeting online or maybe you just want to create a watch party and watch our gathering with friends and then discuss it whatever it is i encourage you don't just immerse yourself in this psalm individually immerse yourself in this psalm communally and here's my prayer as we we wrap up my prayer is that you and i will come to know the shepherd and as we come to know the shepherd we will know the kind of life that's only available In him.